0: Show on in depth radio, News Talk 1010.
1: Oh, yay! It's another Sunday. Thanks for tuning in tonight. I'm live with you until 9 p.m. And uh, Vinny is back from his holiday, so we'll chat with him, which means you just have me for an hour this long weekend. And uh, I'd love to know actually where you're listening from because. This is the last long weekend of the summer before, you know, back to school and back to routine for a lot of people. So text in 71010. Let me know, are you listening from home? Have you stayed in town this weekend? Are you up at a cottage somewhere? Are you listening in your car? Um, You know, have you decided to have one last road trip and you're listening from somewhere else? let me know. 7 10, 10. Love to hear where it is that you're tuning in from um, because I'm always here on the long weekends. And, I, and there are some times when uh, during a long weekend, I think everyone has left the city. Like I think oh, it's a ghost town. I'll walk to some of my usual spots like a farmer's market or maybe like around Kensington Market. And I'll notice that it's considerably less crowded. And that's how I felt a couple weeks ago when we had our August long weekend. Uh, Elliot, you were raising your hand.
0: Hey, I just had a question. What is a long weekend?
1: We don't know because we're always here. I
0: don't know what this is.
1: I know. It's it's kind of messed up for us mm-hmm. because we work. So it's just a regular, we don't have this like three day extended thing. We don't, you know what we don't have? Yes. We don't have that feeling on Friday That people do of possibly leaving work early and not having to go back to work for a couple of days. Um,
0: It's almost mythological. It is.
1: It's like a unicorn. And we're like, what's this long weekend that people talk about?
0: Maybe we'll see it one day.
1: We might. It's possible. It's very
0: possible. Anything. (laughs)
1: It could be our middle of the week, I guess. Uh, someone, uh, oh, Samir, is working until midnight in Mississauga. Oh, and you're tuning in. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, you can text in 71010. Just let me know where you are. I, I, I just feel like a lot of times people escape the city, and I did feel that this weekend until yesterday, Saturday, at about 4 p.m., downtown Toronto, near the Rogers Centre also near the convention center. What was going on there? Well, the Jays game was letting out, and Fan Expo was going on. And seeing the mix of those two crowds honestly filled me with joy. It was like everyone at Fan Expo was dressed like a Jays fan. Jays player, I guess. Um, No, but it's great, because you see all those people. I am so intrigued by things like Comic-Con and Fan Expo, because it's not my world. It's not not my interest but i love how dedicated and serious a lot of people are about it because it's really creative like i used to like drawing when i was a kid and i used to think like oh maybe i'll draw comics one day there's such an art to it and then um and then people who just you know are big fans of certain characters superheroes stories movies it's quite amazing and it's big business like when you see the costumes that some people make for themselves, like you'll, I, uh, I remember seeing one at a at a smaller comic convention that I was um, doing a TV shoot at, and the girl said it took her six months to make this stunning costume. I have no idea what uh, character it was, but it had like these giant wings, and it looked like a suit of armor. And she'd made a lot of it out of foam, and she said it took her almost ninety minutes to get into for one. It looked incredibly uncomfortable. Like she couldn't sit, she couldn't really bend at her joints properly. The costume was, was so stunning and she'd spent six months building it. And I asked her if she, she knew how to, like if she had like, some sort of like costume architect background. And she said, no, she basically YouTubed how to construct something like that. So um, a lot of talent, kudos to all of you really interesting people though I have to say <laughs> when you're like walking down the harbor front and then you see people in like these crazy superhero costumes just another day in the city that's when I felt like no one left the city for the long weekend because then traffic down there was absolute madness um so yeah text in 71010 let me know oh my goodness someone just texted in saying they're leaving work at the outlet mall spending the long weekend selling handbags but I want to know if there's good deals. Oh, and someone else is, uh, another listener is stuck in traffic on the Gardner. Ah, that's not great. Although I would have thought maybe it wouldn't be too bad today because it being the long weekend, a lot of people might be traveling home tomorrow. But um, anyway, thanks for tuning in. I do appreciate it. Just a reminder that you still have a chance to win a $300 Phillips pasta maker on my website. Got some great entries last week. Just go to my website, paychen.com. You can click on blogs and you'll see uh, the info there on how to enter. Super easy. And also a really, uh, really great little pasta maker, pasta machine, which I've been using. And I've been eating a lot of carbs. Uh, uh, This weekend, I did crash my friend's pool. She lives in a condo that has a little rooftop pool, just a tiny little building, but it's great. I don't have access to that. So I, (laughs) I invite myself over. This is the thing with social media. She will tweet a photo of her sitting poolside, and then I will text her and I'll say, hey, do you want some company? And she doesn't live too far from me. So she just lives like across the city. Um, So I hop on my bike and it takes me 10 minutes to bike there. Well, the last time I went to see her about two weeks ago, I locked my bike in front of her condo building just in the East End, like just off of Church Street. And yes, you can say it's kind of my own fault. But I have those pannier bags, you know, those bags that you put on the back of your bicycle that you can like stuff things into. Well, I sometimes bring one of those because I bring I brought like a little sun hat and sunscreen. So I took the stuff out of my bag and it was empty and I left it on my bike, which I do sometimes. And generally, I feel like there's this common respect for cyclists. You know, we're just trying to get from point A to point B without a lot of money. And And a lot of us bike because we can't we can't afford a car or we're trying to save the money on a Metro Pass. I come out 90 minutes later and someone had stolen my empty bike bag, um, which I think is probably about $40. So it was my own fault. But I, you know, it was daylight. It was in front of a condo building. I thought it would be fine. Um, so my point is jerks who steal things off bikes, they steal bags, they steal bells, they steal lights. So I went into Mountain Equipment Co-op this week and I was also looking to buy some, some lights because I couldn't find my other one and i the girl next to me was like oh i'm buying lights again cuz someone stole mine i'm like you know people are some people are terrible like don't pick on the the <laughs> the little ones the people there who are like you know just trying to get around the city without polluting the air <laughs> just trying to save a few bucks that's all um so oh the other thing too if you have if i had a child and some i know many of you have children I don't know what they're interested in, but if there's a way that you can subtly guide them into wanting to pick up a trade, like being an electrician or being a plumber, they would be set for life. I had a tiny, I had a little bit of water dripping from the pipe underneath my sink. It was absolutely not a big deal. It looked like maybe the pipe was just a little bit worn, so it was starting to seep a little bit of water. So, of course, I don't know how to do this. It's not something I want to YouTube and figure out because it's like pipes and. Water, so I had to call a plumber, and it was like super easy. It was like okay, just this pipe is worn, and this the curved piece needs to replace. Really, really simple. Well, three hundred and sixty dollars later, it was really simple. If I was many years younger, I'd pick up a trade, Elliot. Don't you think? Because what are we doing in these? Cur- what are we doing in entertainment? We are so foolish.
0: I uh, well, I actually did learn a trade. Pay what was it? Uh, cooking. It's the worst paying trade.
1: It is a terribly. It is. A, <laughs> it pays horribly.
0: It's. Uh, it's. I feel like Aww. it's a truth. I don't know how much. I don't know how much the average diner knows actually with the average wages for a line cook. It may have improved. It's usually
1: since minimum wage, isn't it?
0: I got a little bit better than that, but I mean, I did work as a cook for many years, and yeah. I had a fun time doing it. But I mean, I always see that listed in the list of trades alongside plumbing and electrician, uh-huh. and I laugh because it's like, yeah, but that pays like we're talking like yeah. forty to $50,000 less.
1: Yeah, it's a big difference. I think people who cook often um, or who do it for a long time, sometimes it is just it's a job because that, that's their skill. Yes. Um, and other people who do it do love it.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's the thing. I mean, the people who do it, uh, a lot of them, and actually, that's kind of why I don't do it myself, because yeah. I realized that it wasn't the only thing I wanted to do.
1: It wasn't your passion.
0: Well, it's one thing I was interested in, remain interested in. But yeah, there's the people who work in it generally are like, this is all I want to do. I don't mind having roommates into my late 30s. <laughs> they're fine with that.
1: They're and it's long days. Like oh, people yeah. don't realize that when you're at that restaurant, that those people cooking your food are in a really hot, sweaty kitchen. They probably haven't eaten in ten hours, and they work twelve to fourteen hour days on their feet.
0: Indeed, but they, again, many are. will say they're satisfied. So yeah, but yeah, I see what you mean about trades. Uh, it's something that yeah, I mean, electrician. There's, I feel like there's probably a lot of people rushing into it though because of all the n- reporting on it. Am I wrong?
1: I, I think there's they're trying to keep interest alive in it because in, because people were dropping out of trade work. It wasn't oh. as, you know, sexy, I guess, in some ways as right. being like a YouTube star. Yeah. Um, so there's been a push I know with um like colleges and such um and training facilities to kind of remind people that trades are really a uh, great careers. Oh yeah. And also to let them know what kind of uh, salaries yes. and, you know, job security could be there for them
0: i just wish i knew some of this stuff myself i mean it wouldn't be handy to actually know how to fix like a sink
1: it would be because you could charge people 360 that's true to go visit them for a half an hour i'll come
0: over and fix your sink buddy come on
1: (laughs) i feel like some people could also be just youtube and fake be like self-taught no that's a bad idea uh what's coming up on the show you know after the break uh every thing that you may be curious to know about restaurants. I'm going to talk to a restaurant insider who gets hired by chefs and restaurant owners to share his knowledge and I'm going to pick his brain and tell you how to get the best value and how to know if you're actually being ripped off and what to do if you have a bad experience. Radio, News Talk 1010. Well, as you can imagine, opening a restaurant or or actually opening any business takes a lot of money and you don't want to gamble with it if you don't know what you're doing. So that's why a lot of restaurants hire consultants to guide them with their business, give them advice on how to operate, um, how they should do things, just also because it's a cutthroat business and you want to have uh, the... Biggest chance of success. So I've got Vince on the line. Vince, is it Antonacci? That's right. Oh, I feel really good about that. A hospitality consultant. So you are often on the front lines um, with restaurant professionals, owners, just giving them advice on how they should be doing things like, but all the basics, even just like design straight through to, you know, PR and and how they should do their menus.
2: That's correct. A lot of times when someone opens up a restaurant, they may not know the the basics required to make it successful, and I'm there to just uh, support and guide.
1: See, I didn't know that, I mean, I guess if I thought about it, I would realize that people like you are, are essential, but I thought a lot of people just kind of like opened up a business because they knew what they were doing. <laughs> they well, don't always.
2: Are, yeah, you know what? It, it's funny because we are so essential in this industry. A lot of times I, you've heard, we've all heard um, horror stories where people will open up a restaurant and suddenly you realize that they've never been in the industry before. And uh, that happens more often than none. And so people like myself, and there's a lot of us out there, will go in and and again, offer that support that's needed, and that guidance needed so that they have a better chance of surviving because the industry itself it's tough
1: well, and I find that you know, if we're going to talk about uh, Toronto in particular, where rents are very high, there's a lot of competition. Um, it's not really something that most people can ride out for a few months if if business isn't very good. So though, because we're talking about, let's say, um you know, the GTA, what are some things for listeners and, you know, as a consumer, as a diner, when I'm looking at this huge list of, you know, top 10 restaurants or this place just opened, um, it's, it can be tough to decide, you know, what is worth visiting and where I should spend my money.
2: I, absolutely. It's extremely difficult. I mean, there are close to 6,000 food service establishments in the GTA.
1: Oh, wow. It's
2: insane. Yeah, It's insane. Um, you know, how do you choose a place to go and dine and spend your hard-earned money? Um, you know what? I think if, if what you have to do is kind of, you know, sit with your group and decide, hey, you know what? You know, what are we looking for tonight? Something casual, something fine, something that's a little more quick service, a pub, something that's kind of share plates. Um, and, and decide, start there. And then mm-hmm. when you've got that figured out, move on to figuring out what you want to have as a cuisine. Something classic and North American, something Asian, something Italian, a mix of everything. That changes as you go. And then finally, do a quick kind of search. Google what you're looking for. Google a review or two, and be careful where you get your reviews from. I
1: was just going to say that because now with the internet, everyone can put publish a review.
2: Yes, with today's comment culture, um, you know, there's a lot of sites out there where they become a little too mainstream, and you don't truly get the truth. You get. A lot of uh, you know old employee gripes. You get friends of restaurateurs, yeah. the restaurateurs themselves. The truth gets a big skew.
1: So it is tough with a lot of these sites. Like my um, my brother, for example, uses Yelp all the time, and I never use that website. But you know, people have their favorites. They you know that oh well, this one rated high, scored well on this site or or whatever it is, TripAdvisor. Um, and I feel like you have to be able to read between the lines a little bit. Or you need to scroll down. Like, don't just read the first five. You need to, like, go back a little bit.
2: Yeah, you really do. Like, obviously go through the history of it. Um, I, I personally am not a fan of, of Yelp. Mm-hmm. It's good for what it is. I think it's great. Um, I stay away from any reviews that are a one-star or a five-star because usually those are the fake ones.
1: Oh, good um, point.
2: Yeah, I tend to really I, – what I suggest, I advise people to go to, to TripAdvisor instead. You get honest reviews from – Travelers who are really aren't in any way biased or, or motivated by anything within the city, and uh, and you really want those reviews, read right. them and and, and and really take them to heart.
1: Now, uh, one thing that I wanted to talk to you about is um, how there, there's only there's only so much food <laughs> in terms of variety. So yeah. why is it that? And this is something that I even my friends ask me because sometimes they'll say like, "Let's go to this little mom and pop." restaurant where it might be a little bit more expensive um but why is it that one place for example can sell me a grilled like a really simple like grilled chicken breast on a salad for like let's say twelve dollars and then i'll walk down a block or two and then there's another restaurant which is more of my preference because it's probably a little bit smaller and they'll do grilled chicken on a salad uh for twenty five dollars how does that happen
2: you know, there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, one, always look at, I mean, the caliber of restaurants is important. So um, if you're walking to a, a, a location that's in, in, a, in, let's say, in the financial district, they're paying more per square foot, which increases the prices overall. Aside from that, as well, as the, the greater the caliber of a the, the restaurant, then the greater the, uh, most often, the experience of the cooks involved and mm-hmm. the detail involved in the dish. Um, and, of course, the size of the restaurant or the company that you're, that you're kind of dealing with as well i mean if it's a large chain they could they can buy food at a much lower rate and then be able to and be able to cut a deal when the smaller restaurant is really just you know it, it's piecemeal it's, it's buying as they go and the prices could be a bit higher and the volume is not there the restaurant's a tough business and um we have to look at that when we're when we're looking at pricing as well right
1: yeah and i think all uh, another thing that i try to tell people is it's you know this chicken isn't the same across the board not always. It could be the quality of the ingredients can really vary. So maybe one person is sourcing only locally um, and only seasonally, you know, versus buying at a big box store where ingredients can be a little bit less.
2: Absolutely. You know, it's funny because in those particular situations, and you're absolutely correct, but buying locally could be even more expensive than having it shipped in or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Again, it just it really depends of and who the chef is that's purchasing, where they're purchasing from, and so forth. But as a diner, that's really, it's very difficult to investigate that when you're dining out. So, um, you know, basically the rule of thumb is simply this. If you think when you're eating, you're really getting your money's worth, then it was worth it.
1: Right. So uh, I also wanted to ask you about restaurant pet peeves because you're the insider. You're the one who works with owners and chefs and people who are running the business. And diners, we can go online and we can complain all we want, we can write terrible reviews. You know, owners don't really have the luxury of doing the same for diners, although some I know uh, will take to social media to call out a particularly terrible guest. Um, But, uh, you know, let's talk about maybe general restaurant pet peeves in a way that we who are listening can perhaps be better behaved.
2: Okay. So uh boy I can talk I can I can talk forever about Oh, this. I bet. Uh, I
1: wanna yeah. know what do restaurateurs hate about us.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, but you know what, it can go both ways too. I mean I, I can I can say the, the same thing about the restauranteurs as equally as much so as the diners themselves. Right. I mean in terms of, of a restauranteur dealing with diners, uh one of one of the main things for 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 me that I mean there's a few things but uh, I like to call them allergies when they're not true allergies. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, it's like someone that comes up to you and says, hey, you know, I'm I'm, uh, I'm celiac, I, I can't eat gluten, and then asks for extra bread, um, you know, halfway through the meal, even though you tell them. And then they say, hey, it's okay, I can have this type of bread. Oh, my goodness. Or, uh, yeah, or uh, I, I can't eat dairy, I have a, a large dairy reaction, and then they order more croissants. Um, you know, the flip side to that, not dealing with food is booking a reservation and not calling when you can't show or you're going to be late. That really hurts the restaurant.
1: It does. And I've had a few chefs on and restaurant owners who own very small uh, places. And um, that's sometimes the reason that they stop taking reservations, because when they only have 20-some-odd seats in the house and a party of six doesn't show, that's a big deal.
2: Yes, it's a big and It, it definitely hurts the restaurant. And, and a lot of times... You know, the, the consumer doesn't realize that you're, you're really causing a lot more damage than you, think you than it seems. And uh, you know, they have to make some money. And we have to somehow understand that when we go dine.
1: Now, uh, anything else? Any other major issue that you think we should know about, be aware of?
2: You know what? Know know your food. And, and no one no one's no one asks you to be uh, an expert. But uh, if you like a steak done a certain way, you know, figure it out and know what to expect. Maybe describe it more than just saying. Uh, medium-rare, you know, tell the server how you actually want it. You know, I want it all pink, a little red on the inside. Okay, we will make that for you. But a lot of times each restaurant, although doneness of a steak could be, you know, relatively kind of standard, Mm -hmm. there are variations in each location at times I've found. And so describing what you want when you're ordering something like a steak, that would help. And that goes for basically everything.
1: Now, should we, I always feel bad about sending something back if it's like totally cold or too salty, I feel a little bit guilty about that. But should should, should I?
2: No, you should never feel guilty for it. Um, and I can tell you why. It's your harder money being spent, and I believe you have an expectation when you go dine. And for a restauranteur, um, I can tell you firsthand, I mean, I like to see the smiles on people's faces, and I want to see a good, perfect product go out so they can truly enjoy it and then hopefully return again. And if for some odd reason that meal is not 100% to you, then you know what? Please say something about it, so that this way the restaurant can the restaurant can do something about it to make sure you're leaving with a smile.
1: But you know, there's always that rumor that someone's going to spit in my food.
2: <laughs> you know what? I'm sure that that might happen, or it has happened in the past. But nowadays. I, I've never seen it happen. It okay, that's good.
1: That's my—I yeah, yeah. I live in a world of paranoia, Vince. That's what it is. So I eat my salty food, and then I just don't go back. Um,
2: well, be be <laughs> comfortable knowing that in 29 years, I've never seen
1: it. Okay, good. Good, good. Thank you so much, Vince. You've been very helpful. No problem. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. That's Vince Antonacci. He's a hospitality consultant with a, a lot of the restaurants in the GTA, so that's good to know. I just— I'm always scared to send something back, but uh, maybe I will one day. All right, we're going to take a break here on the Pei Chen Show. Coming up after the break, we'll tell you why you should care more about heritage breeds when it comes to your food.
0: This is the Pei Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010.
1: Hey, thanks for your text tonight. You can text in at seven ten ten. The show is live. You can always interact with me. I'm here until nine p.m. on Sundays, and uh, you've been texting in to tell me where you are listening from tonight because it is a long weekend. So I wasn't sure it was just Elliot and I in the city because it feels right now. It feels like it because there's like no one else in this building.
0: Yes, and we also don't have water. Last time I checked,
1: um, that is true. When I walked in the building, I was told that there was no water, but we saw a bunch of guys sitting outside who were apparently fixing the water main. But they were just, they were just sitting. Yeah, uh, and I think there is water now.
0: But you know what? It what? was actually a lot like camping.
1: It was kind of like camping, and I am not a big camper. There you so. go.
0: <laughs> so it's like we were up at the cottage.
1: It, you know what? You're right. This is our long weekend. Uh, the Toronto Food and Wine Festival is taking place in two weeks, so September 18th to the 20th at the Evergreen Brickworks. And uh, as part of the festival, there's something called Cochon 555, and I've got Brady Lowe on the line. He's the founder of Cochon 555. Hi, hey, Brady. Hi. So I, I have to tell you that until um, I was learning more about the Toronto Food and Wine Festival, I wasn't really familiar with this event that you've been doing for a long time. So just uh, fill in our listeners a bit about what it is.
3: For sure. It's a um, it's North America's largest traveling food and wine tour dedicated to raising awareness about heritage breed pigs that are raised by family farmers. And each city we go to, we get five chefs to all put their uh, their name in the hat for the winning title of the city, and they get a whole pig, and they get seven to ten days to cook it. Wow! And we host these events all over uh, North America, and they've we've gotten really bit, we've got really fortunate with the attendees, with the judges, with the guests, and the food, and the I mean, the chefs put so much into each and every bite. Um, it's just an it's an amazing uh, it's an amazing event.
1: So the event then has five chefs. Each has a whole pig that they're preparing. Um, is there are there different styles of preparation?
3: Yeah, I mean, well, we have I mean, we have twenty different events that happen in twenty markets a year. So mm-hmm. there's Cochon Five Five Five, which is the signature series, which is kind of like kind of a white tablecloth technique style of competition and then this one that's taking place in toronto during the food and wine festival is called koshan Her- 505's heritage barbecue right and this is the coolest event we do and i love it because it's we're talking about korean barbecue barbacoa texas barbecue german barbecue like anybody who's cooking over fire and has these like family traditions that are like 200 years old so the chefs figure out what culture they want to represent and they cook their pig in that style
1: um which sounds really amazing and i'm excited for that and then that's on the 18th right that friday night
3: yeah that's friday night
1: okay so when you started koshan 555 and you started working with farmers i mean what was it that made you think like well you know what there we should we should talk about this more like w- what happened that Made you feel like you should launch a series of events that involved heritage bred pigs.
3: It was there was this um, there was it was a fragmented conversation. I mean, if you googled heritage bred pigs online, you got some scholarly journals and a couple of conservancy boards and chefs were super excited about them because they taste better, they're healthy, there's no antibiotics, no. I mean, the whole thing about pure, honest food. It's like synonymous with like amazing farmers. So, what happened was when we started it, I started to get to know these farmers, and nobody was out there telling their story and what they're doing. I mean, not only just to the taste better, but I mean, they're just great people, and they're doing it and raising these animals with like as they were their kids. I mean, they don't want to put any bad stuff in them. So, you just fall in love with these people, and then you want to see them succeed and the sustainability of the whole concept about you know farm to table gets a mm-hmm. little bit more uh deeper in meaning as you follow the uh tour and learning more about heritage breed pigs.
1: And so I guess for our listeners um who may not know what a heritage breed pig is can you sort of tell us the difference between that and you know the other the pigs and the pork products that they might be more used to purchasing? Yeah, for sure. It's
3: um you know I mean the stuff that we get at the gro- grocery store that's, that's commodity pork. I mean it's it's industry um production protein and you know, and there is no family farming about it. And then Heritage Pork, you're looking at people who are raising these animals by hand. It's like a handcrafted cocktail versus something out of a box, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, it's like for me, like trying Heritage Pork, when you're tasting it, it's like uh, the first time you had chocolate cake, like that German chocolate cake was the best chocolate cake that you've <laughs> ever had versus yeah. like some out of the grocery store, like just. Chocolate Four days brownies. old chocolate. Yeah. yeah. It just has it doesn't have any depth and like yeah. attraction. So, you know, the word heritage really kind of goes back to genetics and these bloodlines that people are wanting to preserve. So you see like these heirloom apples and tomatoes. It's almost the same thing. I mean, these are seed saving genetic preservation projects that people take on because each of these pigs has a different style or a different character or they take on what they eat differently so if you were to look at dachshund versus a Doverman, mm-hmm. that's the two different styles of dog and when you have a berkshire versus a magnolica or versus a yorkshire these are different species of pigs even though they're all pigs they do and act and have different mothering skills etc so it's really they're just amazing animals once you start to to figure out what which ones taste better than the others
1: now, for a lot of people who, you know, have to do their groceries a couple times a week, they've got school lunches to make and families to make dinner for every night, um, and may not be thinking twice about the meat products that they're buying. Um, what should they be considering, or what can we, what can we ask when we're out there purchasing our meat? Uh,
3: I- I think, you know, there's places like Whole Foods, there's little bit, there's some markets that you are looking to go buy your meat from the places that you trust, you Mm -hmm. know, and that was the whole thing about butchers growing up. You trusted your butcher that they were going to give you meat, and then all of a sudden that whole thing got kind of switched around a little bit, and the meat that we start starting to see, I mean, as the butchers start to disappear, then the meat starts to become more convenient to match our lifestyles, which is totally a natural part of the process, but When you look at one thing I would say like to change your your mindset is if you want to buy heritage pork, it's okay to put meat in the freezer, you know, like not Mm -hmm. everything has to be fresh. And I think you find your sources and then you buy what you want and you might just store some in the freezer. So when you want to eat some really good meat, you pull it out of the freezer to frost it and it becomes a process. Not everything has to be like fresh, you know, and That's how people buy half cows and split it amongst families. I mean, that's a pretty extreme route. But, you know, I think for me, if I want to have, you know, a 24-ounce porterhouse, Mm -hmm. I want it to be packed full of flavor, and I'll share that with four or five people. So I think we're kind of getting that part where quality is in the smaller quantities of just really flavor-driven products rather than having to eat a whole cake to get the taste of you know, what you can in two bites of something made really well.
1: Right. And I think that, I mean, one thing that I often talk about is maybe um, buying better and buying a little bit less if you're able to. Yeah. Um, you I know, think and,
3: meat's one of those things for sure.
1: Yeah. It doesn't have to be, you know, three quarters of your plate. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) I mean, it'd be nice sometimes, but, you know, it it doesn't have to be every night. Um, So let's talk about what you're doing at uh, Toronto Food and Wine Festival. So uh, you actually have – so there's two Cochon events. Is that right? There's sort of the one – there's one on Thursday night.
3: Yep. That's called Epic, and Mm -hmm. that is a uh, dinner. So we're basically bringing in chefs from all over North America, uh, outside of uh, San Francisco, Chicago, New York City – And we're flying them in, so we have five chefs from Canada and five chefs from the U.S. all cooking together for one night. And they're all getting one little roaster pig, like 45 pounds, Mm -hmm. from Gaspor Farms with these little tiny suckling, awesome, super crazy, lovely, expensive milk-fed pigs. (laughs) And then everyone gets to do their own spin. So, like, the guy from Miami is doing a very Puerto Rican, because he's Puerto Rican-style take. So everyone's putting their own personality into their pig and we're just going to be a Bachnol feast, Wines of Rioja. We get all these crazy wines. It's going um, to be a great rum. dinner. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be kind of a show genre. I mean, that epic, like we do this once a year or mm-hmm. once, a, you know, we do it once a time. Like we can't repeat these dinners. So it has to be epic. Um, and that's the the kind of theory behind that brand. And, and then, then we the, have the next night.
1: Yeah, the Heritage Barbecue, which is on the 18th, which is Friday's, And that's at the Brickworks. And that's, I guess, maybe a bit more casual because we're talking barbecue.
3: Yeah. And it's I mean, you're talking we're talking like stuff from Indonesia, Korea, uh, China, Japanese, hibachi, Korean. I mean, all those flavors. And then you get to like barbacoa and Lechon, and American style barbecues. And it's it's a representation Mm -hmm. of everyone who's out there grilling um, in all these different cultures. And that's what Heritage Barbecue is about. It's kind of breaking our mindset of thinking that barbecue comes with red sauce. And taking us to another culture to experience what they do and what they call their own barbecue. So um, that's the next night. We have five chefs who are competing. It's more like a four or 500 person event. You get a taste.
4: It's going to be wines and yeah.
3: spirits and mezcals and bourbons and I mean it's a <laughs>
1: it's going to be a good a night. I think people want to take a cab that night. If you want to find out more information about Toronto Food and Wine, you can do that on the website torontofoodandwine.com and and uh, find out more info about purchasing tickets. Brady, thanks so much, and I'll see you in two weeks.
3: Thank you. Can't wait to meet you. All
1: right. That's Brady Lowe. He's the founder of Cochon 555. And that's going to be a really fun food event uh, to check out. So you can buy sort of admission passes and go there and sample food. And then they have all these ticketed events with different chefs and uh, special dinners as well. We're taking a quick break here. When we come back, Vinnie White's going to pop in. We'll see what he's been up to. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. It does continue. Love that guy's voice. Vinny White joins me now. He has been away for two weeks. You were off to uh, London for was it your brother's wedding? Yeah. You had a good time?
4: Yeah. It's great. Seventies theme. So I wore. Was a
1: seventies really? He did a theme for his wedding. Mm. That included the wardrobe. I'm curious about the wedding photos. Was it like bell bottoms and bell- ruffled
4: shirts? Brown cords. No, th-
1: really. The whole wedding party. Toy
4: jacket. Couldn't find any platforms, but yeah, I had to kip a kipper tie. Rocked it.
1: I think that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's was good. Uh, whose idea was that? Your brothers my, or the... It was my brothers.
4: Everyone spent not a lot of money. It's a really good way of doing <laughs> it because my whole outfit was 40 bucks. I got it here in Toronto.
1: Wow, it's pretty great.
4: And my mum wore a dress that she just still had from like 1971.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, she looked good. I... Th- feel like those photos should go up online so that people can see it.
4: I think they're fine on my phone, just staying there. (laughs) Let's just leave them in my pocket. I'd really
1: like to see the the photos of you and your corduroy. You won't look at
4: my photos.
1: I actually don't want to look at your photos. I I said,
4: I'll just let you into a little private joke. I said... Okay,
1: at... let's go back a second. There okay. was no water yes, for a while. This is true. And so before I started my show, um, I said, "Well, I hope there's water." Because we looked across the street and we saw the guys doing construction on the water main, and it looked like they were <laughs> doing packed...
4: nothing.
2: They yeah. were
1: sitting around for a really long time. And I said, "The, f- the four to five of them are supervisors." Yeah. Um, and at one point we looked out and they were just sitting there, but it looked like maybe they were done. Uh, and um, and then Vinny, what happened?
4: Well, I was aware that the water meant. Apparently, because our our system here works in such a way that um, we couldn't use the toilets. Mm-hmm. So I said I was going to the loo and I lied. And I know it's, it's a bit gross. I said I took a photograph and I tried of what I did. He
1: just tried to like assault me with his phone. He leaned over really close to my face with his phone. He's like, look at it. Look at it. Look at the photo. And I didn't want to look. I don't want to see.
4: I said it's what I did in the toilet because I have a mental age of six. and Maybe I, four, actually, but... It was actually a picture of a, a balcony in Italy that I took a few years ago. Oh. It was a nice sunset. So well, who's the fool now?
1: Still not me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking speaking of photos on your phone, this totally surprised me. I had no idea that... Do you know that there are apps out there, and this is because parents, listen up. If you've got kids or teenagers who have cell phones and, you know... By way of parenting, you go through their phone once in a while to make sure it's all kosher. I think think if they're younger, yes. Mm. But I think you also should be really careful, especially if they're younger or early teens, because there's so many untrustworthy people out there. And you might want to just monitor maybe who they're messaging or something like that. Like, I don't think you have to be a secretive snoop about it, but I think it's totally safe if your kid's like, you know, 10 or 11, to want to know who they're communicating with, right? Right, Making sure they're legitimate. But um, there, I had no idea, this is so sneaky. There are these um, apps out there that hide photos. They're called, they're photo vaults. So you can actually go into like the app store. And what it looks like is, because you can look at a phone, your iPhone, your Android, whatever, and and, you know, you tap this for camera, you tap that for mail, you tap this for photos. Well, these apps look like the calculator so it, it looks like you need know, the plus minus sign mm. the percentage sign and it will say calculator mm. and what they do so you will never open that one on no. your child's phone but what it is is that it's like a it's like having um uh, like a book with a, a fake inside thing it's hiding secrets
4: I'm right. not sure you about your op- description, but I'm with you. You know what
1: I mean? The book in the movies, when you open it up, it's hiding secrets inside. It when, love it's awful. It I know when you get too the excited to
4: explain what the- you mean. It's like a book with a thing. with Is this it in it?
1: There's no pages in the book. It has a gun and it has secrets. Yes. So, this app, apparently they're called they're Photo Vaults, and a lot of them apparently are just fake calculator apps. So, you might see it might say calculator with a percentage behind it, or it, you know, so uh apparently it just looks like a regular little calculator app and you're thinking my child's practicing math no your child is
4: hiding photos and even if you did um know that you still couldn't get in because i'm sure that you'd have to type a number into the calculator to unlock the photos right uh
1: that's possible i mean Mm. if they maybe maybe if uh you had to purchase the app if it's free you probably don't have a password (laughs) yeah true but as i was surprised that that Existed.
4: It's sneaky. I used to take pictures of very fat people when I was young. Where did you do this? At your house? No, just in the street and stuff. I just I thought, oh, there's a fat person.
1: But when you were young, you would have just had a regular camera. Yeah. So did you just take rolls of film to? Yeah. That's that is that's expensive.
4: This is non-air, is it? Finish. <laughs> <Philly, you should laughs> and sell a it to the news.
1: Weird thing to do because. You can take lots of photos on your phone. It doesn't cost you because you're not developing film and you're not buying the film. But you did this with an actual camera. Yeah. And then what was your obsession? Did you, you printed the
4: photos and where did you put them? I put them in a, in a fatty folder. And how often did you look at it? I never. I don't know where they are now. I was only about 10. I think it was my first ever camera. And I thought, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll do something really cutting edge and journalistic. I'll go and take pictures of fat people. No story behind it. No need for it.
1: Were they all very sneaky photos? Yeah. Like from behind yeah. or like around the corner of a grocery store aisle? It was never like you had them pose.
4: Oh, no. God, no. Like no. you
1: didn't say to someone on the street, like, hi, can I just take your photo?
4: Why? Because you're fat. Oh, oh great. This is terrible. It's awful. I feel terribly ashamed about it. I have no idea why I just confessed to it. It's uh, a really weird interest for a young boy. I know, it's really weird. I don't do it anymore. <laughs> because you,
1: I, I feel like at that age, you're sneaking photos of like girls in bikinis or something like that. You would like think, that, wouldn't you? Or
4: girls in short skirts. I think I was, I was pre-puberty, so I wasn't really interested.
1: That's a weird thing to do. Yeah,
4: that's weird. It's actually, the only way you put it like that, I was taking pictures of fat people But you But it was costing women.
1: you money. That's it was what costing I did. me
4: money. And I'm pretty sure one time, because I would always do it on the end of a roll, like, I was like, oh, there's a few left. I'll go and take some pictures of fat people. And I remember when I went through my photos, there was always a few fat people at the end. And my mum would go, who's that? And I'd be like, I don't know. It was just a, a guy on the way to the um, place where I developed the photos. I
1: just learned so much about you tonight. I
4: think that what we've all learned is that I need to be sectioned. Yeah. Because actually, now I'm saying this out loud, I actually regret saying it.
1: I think you should regret saying yeah. it. You can text in at seven ten ten if you have anything else to add to Vinny's strange childhood obsession. Is there any
4: way that you could make me feel a little bit better by confessing something weird that you used to do?
1: Um, I used to collect red crayons.
4: Brilliant.
0: (laughs) Well, I was going to say, Vinny. Sorry, just started to cut in here, but you could, you know, when you watch the news and they always have that footage of people from the from the neck down when they have a story about obesity. Yeah,
1: like stock
4: footage. yeah, Yeah, you
0: could compile that. Sell it and then, you know, provide journalists with actual
4: stuff to show viewers. See, I knew that. we're talking about. He's monetized my perverted obsession, is what he's done. Just cut off the heads.
1: Just tell me how much money you make once you do this. Yeah. Is it weird that I knew exactly what I should have?
4: (laughs) (laughs) It's all about supply and demand, you see. If I was in America, I wouldn't make any money because you could get a fat, fat person quite easily. But here, it's a bit tougher.
1: Am I making I it that's worse? Where you, maybe. I think you should stop talking right now.
4: <laughs> Tell me about the red crayons then. What were you thinking? Red was my favorite color. Yeah, but you only need one, don't you? No, I would take them
1: all out of the box and I would save them. I would even wrap them in tissue paper and I would put them in a special pencil case because I always... You know how you know how when a crayon is new, it's so perfect the mm. first time you use it and then when it gets all stubby and whatever, it's not good anymore? And you just peel the paper and use that crappy little plastic sharpener on the back but it doesn't so a new i loved new crayons and red was my favorite color and i wanted to preserve the red crayons as much as i could so i would take all the red ones or all the ones that were slightly red ish pinkish red or brick red and i would want to keep as many of them as new as possible yeah. so i had a special pencil box that had mostly red ish crayons
4: So uh, uh, through the red range, maybe from a pink to a scarlet.
1: Not a total pink one. Maybe um, like fuchsia, magenta. Yeah, you didn't
4: want to go pink. Not pink. Mm. You're not a girl.
1: But the red ones were the best ones. And I would even, because once it broke in my bag, so I would wrap them in tissue
4: paper. So just to confirm, did you throw case. away all the other ones that were? No, red? I would
1: use them. And then I would have like an old red crayon that I would still use, but I I wanted to preserve the new, which is really stupid because it's like when people collect nice things or let's say Let's say you collect nice jewelry but you never use you never wear it because it's so nice you want to keep it or people who will have like really beautiful china but they never use it because it's the good china. Yeah, you know what I mean? it's just like, like that. it's the good stuff. Yeah. So it's you exactly like want that. to keep it yeah. good. Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt about red crayon. Text
4: and, in on 71010. 10. <laughs> Who's more mental? Who is the weirder one? Is it A, Vinny White, <laughs> who used to when he was 10 admittedly take pictures of fat people to finish the end of his rolls and then collect them in a fat folder which was definitely weird, or B, a woman who took care of just red crayons and no other colour and wrapped them in I tissue paper. I feel like paper. I would have been
1: a great, like... Like um, a hamster. Like, uh, I don't know, like one of those people who, who like, digs up dinosaur bones and takes really good care of them. I would have been good at that.
4: I think I might have been an archaeologist. That person. <laughs> Because <laughs> it- I
1: almost said anthropologist. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm thinking of the store anthropology. And right. that is
4: wrong. Okay. So once again, if you could text in Pay Chen to 71010 if you think Pay's weirder than me.
1: No, there, it's not. I'm just good at preserving nice things. Anyway. Is this the end the, of the show? Pretty much. Oh, I quite enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sure everyone else did too. <laughs> Paychen.com is where you can go to catch the podcast. Vinny White's coming up next. Very quickly, what's coming up? Vinny, you've got four seconds.
4: Um, good stuff. Hang on.
1: It's going to be good, and you can text in at 71010. Have a great night, everyone. Enjoy your long weekend, and watch out for the kids this week when they're uh, on the streets, because it's back-to-school time, and I'll be back next Sunday.